Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. the newest member of Retribution, Flim Flam, <laughs> and welcome to Babblemania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. We keep it raw, we bring the power, we have the dynamite, and if you disagree, you just may feel the smackdown. Now, as always, let's get hairy. Lordy lordy, ladies and gentlemen, you know how it goes. We're kicking things off with our Monday Night Raw discussion. This is the September 21st edition of Monday Night Raw, the go-home episode heading into Clash of Champions tonight. It's happening tonight. If you're listening to this, you know, when it's uploaded, Clash of Champions is tonight. Um, but right now, I'm going to talk about Monday Night Raw. This was a very solid episode of Monday Night Raw. Once again, um, this might have been one of the most chaotic episodes that I've seen in a really long time. You know, for the past few weeks, Raw has been very fluid, uh, revolving around, you know, one specific story throughout the night. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, it's been uh, Drew McIntyre and his situation with Randy Orton and Keith Lee. Uh, tonight's episode honestly revolved around retribution. It was a very retribution-heavy episode. We're going to talk about it. Uh, the first thing that I want to do, however, is rant. My television turned off on its own, and I could not get it to turn back on, and I missed the first 10 minutes of Raw. Made me very upset, but I digress. I don't want to get too much into that, and we're just going to kick things off with our Raw discussion and the first thing that I saw, which was a triple threat tag team match to determine who faces the Street Profits at Clash of Champions for their Raw tag team titles. It was Garza and Andrade, which was very weird to me, versus Rollins and Murphy versus Umberto Carrillo and Dominic Mysterio. Now, this was very strange to me because it seemed a little, I don't know, to me it seemed a rush. Like, I really enjoyed the Street Profits' little tiny feud that they had with Cesaro and Shinsuke. And, like, I'm seeing the problem right now where, on Raw, the Street Profits shine as Raw Tag Team Champions. But on SmackDown, Shinsuke and Cesaro are struggling. It's almost like everything else is being held above them. And it's really aggravating because I've said it so many times, it's almost a broken record at this point. Cesaro is an insane professional wrestler. He is such such an acquired talent. And even Shinsuke is like one of the most renowned professional wrestlers in the world in the past decade. And I just don't understand why they don't get treated that way. Um, it's aggravating. I kind of wish that my fantasy booking would have came true. Like, if you're if you're going to have those problems with dual-branded tag team titles, then just drop them and just make WWE tag team champions and just have one person hold them and float between shows. I don't know. But it was really weird seeing this triple threat tag team match kind of thrown together. But I think the thing that bothered me the most was Garza and Andrade. Because last week, we were made to believe that they, they fell out, that they were done with each other. Um, and now, it seems that they worked things out. Maybe Zelina was what was holding them back. Um, and obviously, that's got to be what it is, because they got the win. Um, before I get into the ending, 
I want to go back and talk about some things. Murphy did not look happy when he was walking down to the ring with Rollins. I think that was very telling. I believe the end is near as far as that companionship goes. I was really, really stoked to see Dom and Umberto tag-teaming together because I love Umberto Carrillo. I think he's fantastic. I think he has major potential, of course. I think he needs to kind of find his way as far as a character and an image goes. But I really like the fact that him and Dom were a tag team. Uh, now, in my brain, with the tension among these other tag teams, it just it, it made sense to me that Dominic and Umberto were going to take it. You know, because you have Rollins and Murphy, who are not getting along, obviously. Rollins is angry at Murphy for existing, and Murphy is probably getting sick of it. And then you have Andrade and Garza, who just last week couldn't even finish a tag team match without getting mad at each other. So, like in my brain, it was just, well, there's tension between these people, so Dominic and Umberto are going to win. And I thought that was kind of weird, because, you know... How strange, but we all know how Vince feels about Dominic right now. So, you know, it, it didn't sound too crazy to me that they would face the Street Profits at Clash of Champions for the tag team titles. Um, however, I was wrong. <laughs> Rollins turned his back on Murphy like a quarter of the way into the match and just walked out, leaving him by himself. Dominic and Umberto didn't really do anything flashy, and Garza and Andrade got the win. I don't know. Super strange. But... We'll see how it goes. Once again, we bleed back into the Street Profits being in a feud with Garza and Andrade. And at Clash of Champions, they're going to duke it out for the tag team titles. And I think it's going to be a banger of a match, but like, I don't know. It's just very strange spur-of-the-moment storytelling here that I kind of disagree with. Um, now, we, we move on to like the big thing of the night. Now, I missed it at the beginning of the show because of my television technical difficulties. But Retribution, cutting a promo in the back, like they have been for the past couple of weeks, ditching the, you know, the ski masks and the, the facial coverings, and getting some gnarly, gangly-looking masks. They look like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle villains. And to be quite honest, I kind of like it. I kind of think it's sick. I don't know why. Um, it's also, it, it's weird because they unveiled who they are, like... We know who they are. We know that the tall one is Dominic. We know that the one with the dreadlocks is Dio. Uh, we know we got Yim in there. We know we got Mercedes in there. I don't know who the crazy-looking hockey mask dude is, but they're all pretty much from NXT, and it never really gets touched on, but we'll talk about that later as, it, as, you know, as names come up. You probably know where I'm going with that. But I really like the look. Um, they kind of remind me of like a shield and sanity mixture, which I really like. You know, the shield went very far in the company and sanity, in my opinion, wasn't used properly or booked properly. And we'll just have to see what happens with retribution. All I know is that I just, I really hope it goes well because they do feel really imposing. And in my opinion, they're too imposing to flop. Um, knowing who they are is working, in my opinion, and I hope that WWE doesn't treat us like we're idiots as it comes to their identities. But we'll talk about that here in a little while. We're going to move on to uh, the next segment, which is the Kevin Owens show. Uh, Shane McMahon is his guest. 
you know, the tension is in the air. You can already feel it because of their crazy feud they had a while back. But in my opinion, this was great because Shane McMahon was there to promote Raw Underground. He even brought out uh, Dabakato, uh, who's a giant human being, by the way. Lord have mercy. He is a big, big human. But I thought this was really, really good for Raw Underground, a step in the right direction, you know, promoting it on the actual main stage in front of the Thunderdome. I thought it was a very good look, made it feel honestly kind of exciting, like a big fight feel, you know, because he brings out Daba and Kevin Owens kind of like runs his mouth to him, slaps him in the face, foolish, gets him all hyped up. Then Braun Strowman comes out. They They yell at each other. I thought it was really, really good for Raw Underground as a segment. It kind of got me pumped up for, you know, the fight between Kato and Strowman. Um, towards the end of the segment, Aleister Black kind of came out of nowhere and performed a sneak attack on Kevin Owens, pretty much uh, racking him on the corner post several times. I thought that that was great. I'm glad it's being furthered between the two of them. Uh, since the last time we spoke to one another... <laughs> it has come to my attention that apparently Vince McMahon doesn't really see anything in Kevin Owens and Aleister Black. And to me, not only is that upsetting, but it's also actually kind of ridiculous. Um, I don't know why he feels that way. It's almost as if Vince doesn't, like, look into the people that he picks up. Like, how do you look at Kevin Owens and not look at his indie career as Kevin Steen and not want to do something with him? How do you look at Aleister Black and not see his indie career as Tommy End and not want to do something with him? That's what baffles me about it. Um, but I do like that the brawl between Kevin Owens and Aleister Black is being furthered because maybe it's Vince going out of his comfort zone and maybe doubting himself and saying, okay, well, I'll continue to give them chances. So we'll have to see where it goes. I don't think it's going to lead to any big, crazy, grand match at a pay-per-view event. Um, I wish it would, but I do think that maybe it'll end. There's a weird part of me that thinks that this is going to end in some type of crazy tag team. Like we're going to see Kevin Owens and Aleister Black as a tag team, which I kind of want to see because I think they would do great, but I also don't want to see it because we don't need more tag teams. We need more, we need more light shed on our current tag teams. I don't know. That's just me being crazy and thinking about things. Um, after this, it's pretty much announced that Retribution has a match at the end of the night. Uh, we're going to be seeing the Hurt Business versus Retribution. That got me really pumped. And we were also told that Retribution snagged a WWE contract, which essentially means they can do whatever they want. Um, quick little, you know, sidestep there. Nothing big, nothing crazy, just big announcements. Uh, Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre, unbelievable. This was just a match that happened, and I got to tell you, watching them two, like, wrestle in the ring is unreal. They have crazy chemistry. The energy was nuts. It was through the roof. Like, I could literally watch Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre, like, in the main event of WrestleMania. Like, I want that to happen someday. In my opinion, it needs to. Uh, but it is nuts to me that we haven't seen them actually finish a match. And that makes me feel like they're saving it for something special. You know, because every single time that we've seen Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee, something has happened. Someone's interfered. Uh, you know, something has gone wrong. 
retribution has butted their mass-covered faces, and it just makes me wonder, like, maybe the reason that we're not seeing an actual finish to a match between Keith and Drew is because one day we'll see a straight-up, like, 20-minute spectacle between the two of them with no interruptions, which would be absolutely lovely. Fingers crossed. Uh, Of course, Randy Orton interferes. I wasn't surprised. What I was surprised by was how quick he delivered a head kick to Keith Lee. I mean, he was in the ring. He hit Drew with a chair. He took him out, and then just, like, without even missing a beat, ran straight at Keith Lee and just kicked him right in the dome. And to me... That was super shocking. Uh, They're doing a really, really good job of building up tension and making you, like, sit on the edge of your seat. And it was, like, it was in this moment of this episode of Raw where I was like, damn, this episode is wild. Because the whole night, it just seemed like it was chaos. Which is fitting because, you know, this whole episode revolved around retribution. So it made sense that this episode was chaotic and fast-paced and just, like, made you shift everywhere. Uh... We move on to a little bit of a calling-out segment. Uh, Essentially, Peyton Royce calling out Asuka. In my opinion, very big of her. Uh, Very big for her as well. Uh, It's been, you know, released on the internet now for a few weeks that Vince McMahon is really high on Peyton Royce. She kind of inserts herself into the picture of uh, being a big challenger for Asuka. And Billy Kay is... Pretty much standing there saying, like, hey, we're not together anymore, but I still got your back, which is lovely. And it eventually leads to a match. Uh, Asuka is the type of champion who really puts her money where her mouth is. That's what she's always done. So the fact that this led to some type of match was really, really good. But we'll talk about it later. Right now, we're going to talk about Zelina being in a match with Mickie James. Now... Last week, Zelina came out, ran her mouth at Asuka, slapped her in the face, got me all stoked, got me pumped up, because we need more singles competitors right now in the females division. I've talked about it on Instagram, I've talked about it on here, it's what we need, and Zelina has very, very much potential in my opinion. She's very good at being a heel, she's not too shabby in the ring, and I think she has pretty much the build-up to be like a pretty big star if they want to do that to her. So she has a match with Mickey James, and it's essentially a number one contenders match. If she wins, she gets a chance at Asuka's title at Clash of Champions, which to me is crazy, because we see Zelina as a manager. That's what she's been pretty much since coming up to Raw, and I just find it crazy that here we are. You know, last week she walks down to the ring, she slaps Asuka in the face, and here we are tonight. She beats Mickey James in a match, and she gets the shot. At Clash of Champions, it's Asuka versus Zelina Vega for the Raw Women's Championship. I think that's crazy. And apparently Vince thinks really highly of her. I read on Instagram that he he said that Zelina reminds him of Stephanie McMahon, which I think is nuts. That's probably like the biggest compliment you can get from Vince McMahon as a female performer in his company. Just absolutely wild. Um, we move on to the Hurt Business. And earlier on in the night, we saw Retribution doing what Retribution does. In the back, causing chaos, beating people up. Well, now, we see the Hurt Business doing the exact same thing. And MVP is all, this is what we do. 
you guys think you can do it? Well, guess what? We can do it too. And in my opinion, this is what I like to see from the Hurt Business. This is what I want to see from Hurt Business. I want to see aggressiveness. I want to see them beating up other teams, beating up another stable. Hurt Business versus Retribution sounds great. Two established stables. Not some Hurt Business going up against a smorgasbord of wrestlers we want to see great singles action out of. But just felt really good. Got me kind of pumped up for their match at the end of the night. Uh, really, the only thing that I want singles-wise out of this whole Hurt Business situation, and I'm going to keep saying it until it happens, Cedric and Ricochet. Just let them have a grudge match, and just we can forget about it and move on and get to something else. Speaking of which, we're going to move on. We have Seth coming out to the ring, and he's got like an envelope, and he's doing the Seth thing. He's being nice, at least trying to be, but you know that he's just spray-painting a turd, honestly and truthfully, but he, he essentially says that he has this huge catastrophic announcement for the Mysterio family, but he just doesn't want to say it unless they're there. So the whole Mysterio family walks out. You got Ray, you got his wife, you got Dominic, you have Aaliyah, their daughter, and, you know, Seth Rollins does pretty much what I think the entire world was thinking. He, <laughs> he announces that Dominic isn't Rey Mysterio's son. And it was really funny because we've all seen it before. And Seth knew what he was doing. But at the same time, it was just, I don't know, it was, ref it was nice to see something from my childhood kind of resurface for just a moment. But it was also really nice seeing Rey Mysterio go, we've done this before. <laughs> it, it, it didn't work the first time. It's not going to work this time. I really like that. You know, just a little a little stab at the situation with Eddie Guerrero from the Attitude Era. But Seth does his thing, you know, where he says, wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. I told my guy to get dirt on a Mysterio child. What if it's not Dominic? What if it's Aaliyah? And that's when everybody was just like, oh, my gosh. Now he's just going to move on to the other kid. And then... Rey Mysterio tells Seth to keep his daughter's name out of his mouth and says, bro, she's 19. She's naive. She doesn't get anything yet. And that offends Aaliyah. And then there's a little bit of tension. And then they all walk to the back. And Seth is left standing there in the ring feeling bad. Feeling bad, in quotations. And, you know, he attacks us at home, the viewer, which was kind of crazy. And then he just walks towards the back. And, like, halfway up the ramp, he starts, like, smiling. It was very vindictive, it was very personal, and I thought it was a really great way to further the program between the two of them without any physical action. And I also really liked how they touched on Aaliyah's compassion towards Murphy last week, because that was one of the things that I noticed. You know, she was going in the ring to check on her brother, who had just had a cage match with Rollins, and Murphy had just been attacked by Rollins. Well, she knelt down and kind of like touched him on the shoulder and was like, hey, are you okay? And Seth brought that up. He was like, a Mysterio wouldn't do that. Like, she's a traitor. And then Ray was like, bro, I've taught my kids compassion, something that you know nothing about. It was just, it was really nice storytelling. I really liked it. Uh, later on, we end up seeing Aaliyah kind of crying in the back and Murphy approaches her and apologizes to her. And to me, that's the nail in the coffin. That's the beginning of the end 
for Murphy and Rollins' friendship. And this is probably going to end, in my opinion, in Murphy turning on Rollins, which will then cause Dominic to get a big win over him. And then hopefully, sometime after that, we'll see Dominic get a clean win over Seth Rollins. But, as I always say here on Babblemania, we'll just have to see where it goes. Now, we move on to Raw Underground. The match that we've been waiting for. Braun Strowman versus Daba Kato. Shane McMahon's been pushing it. The Kevin Owens show earlier in the night got it all hyped up. I was kind of excited, which was weird because I'm normally not excited for Underground. But, once again, <laughs> I was let down. Braun Strowman and Daba Kato fought for maybe three or four minutes. It was insane. It was like they built it up so high. They even let Shane come out on the Kevin Owens show and promote it on like the main stage where the Thunderdome is at. And then it wasn't even that great. It was kind of a letdown. Uh, Should have gone way longer. Should have been some big old slams. You know, maybe Braun Strowman, like maybe the ring should have broke. Excuse me. Maybe the ring should have broke. Something like that. I don't know. But it really upset me, and it made me go, well, that's it for Raw Underground. I literally don't see it getting any better from here. We'll have to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But, like, in my opinion, promoting something as heavily as Strowman versus Daba and then having it turn out that way, big, big mistake. Put a toe tag on Raw Underground. Personally, I think it's done. It's going to take a lot for me to say anything positive about it from here on out. But something that I can speak positively on is Retribution's presence. Now, we finally get to the match. Retribution versus the Hurt Business. Their presence is very powerful. They don't come out to music. They literally just walk out to the ring chaotically and... I love that. I think it's great. It reminds me of The Shield. It reminds me of, you know, John Moxley. I think it's a great look. What I didn't like was the names. And this is what I want to talk about. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said, well, we'll talk about names and identities here in a little while. These people's names were T-Bar, Mace, and Slapjack. <laughs> and it's... It's very, very weird to me because I don't know if they are being serious. I don't know if these are code names or temporary names for maybe a point in the future when they take off their masks and reveal themselves as NXT superstars. I don't know. And what's weird to me is how we all know who they are. Like, I know that's Dominic. I know that's Dio. I know that's Mia Yim. I know that's Mercedes. I don't know who, you know, paper plate on the face kid is, but it's somebody. And it's weird to me how they just kept saying their names. And they even talked about them. They were like, oh, well, this is T-Bar, and that's Mace, and that's Slapjack. And I'm like, why? Why did you give them such ridiculous names? You can't take anybody seriously with a name like Slapjack. You're not a threat. I can't even take T-Bar seriously, and it's... Dominic's big ass. I don't get it. I didn't like that at all. I hope the names are just like temporary and maybe they'll get revealed at some point in time. To also be completely honest, I don't really like retribution in matches. This wasn't a bad match, 
but it wasn't anything grand. It wasn't anything spectacular. It definitely wasn't what we know they're capable of. I mean, we've all seen Dominic and Keith Lee's incredible matches in NXT. We've all seen Dio and what he's capable of. Like, this really didn't highlight them as legitimate physical threats. Uh, it just, towards the end of the match, it was like, oh, we're losing. You know, Dominic hits a cheap shot on Bobby Lashley and then throws his hands up, and then here comes 30 people to attack the Hurt Business. I think that's what they need to work on. No more matches until their masks comes off. Until their masks come off, personally, uh, I think it would be more rebellious if they went that way. Uh, the ending to Raw was very fitting. It was just a whole big brawl. Once Dominic, or T-Bar, should I say, threw up his hands and told the goons to get the Hurt Business, uh, you then had Drew McIntyre pretty much leading a fleet of Raw superstars from the locker room out to the ring. And it was just a big, humongous brawl that pretty much led to Randy Orton attacking them out of nowhere. Um, and this leads me to two questions. Now that the whole locker room wants a piece of retribution, where do we go from here? You know, are they going to disappear for a little while and come back at a pay-per-view event? Uh, are we going to start to see them attacking certain individuals, like... 30 on 1. I don't know where you can go from here. I mean, I'm really clear, curious as to where they're going to take it, and I hope they don't let me down, but I just, I don't know like what you can do now that the entire locker room is on lookout and they have to watch their backs. Question number two, do you think Randy Orton has anything to do with retribution? Now this is a reoccurring thing here on Babelmania since Retribution, you know, started existing. But, like, I don't know. Randy Orton just kind of came out of nowhere to attack Drew McIntyre amongst all the chaos. Why wasn't he attacked? You know? Maybe. We'll have to see what happens. It doesn't really make sense, but it'd be interesting, I guess. I personally think that Retribution is going to end up, like... Maybe answering to someone on a larger scale. I'm not sure about that, but like I could I could really see Tommaso Ciampa being a part of Retribution for some crazy reason. We'll just have to see where it goes. Uh, you know, Randy getting the last laugh on Drew before heading into Clash of Champions was really like a powerful statement. Um, but. It's a very chaotic episode overall, just as chaotic as the past 26 minutes that I've stood here to talk to you. Um, super chaotic episode. On the beard scale, this gets an unruly beard that's just all over the place. Like, it needs to be brushed, it needs to be groomed, it needs to be handled. Somebody do something with it. For the love of God, it's unruly. And of course, with Monday Night Raw coming to an end, we bleed directly into AEW Dynamite. This is the September 23rd edition of Dynamite, and once again, another solid episode from All Elite Wrestling. We kick things off with a tag team match between Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss and Kip Sabian and Miro, making his in-ring debut in All Elite Wrestling. Now, personally, I think that maybe it should have been between another tag team. Janela has been a little sloppy here lately, and I'm not really a big fan of it. Uh, for some reason, it kind of 
leached on to Kip Sabian, in my opinion, who normally is not too shabby in the ring. But this match just felt a little sloppy at some points. And I wholeheartedly blame that on Janela and potentially his vibes bleeding into Kip Sabian a little bit. It makes sense because of Janela and Kip Sabian's relationship with Penelope Ford. Um, but I, I kind of would have liked to seen Miro in more of a star-studded match that didn't go so sloppy. Now, Miro looked great. There really wasn't any moments where I was like, wow, this is disappointing from Miro's perspective. Miro looked great, but it was still a little sloppy. Um, it was really nice seeing him get the win for him and Kip with the, uh, you know, whatever they called it in WWE. I can't remember the name of it. It's basically a Cobra Clutch. I liked it a lot. Can't wait to see him turn on Kip. I know it's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't think it's going to be at the wedding, of course, because, well, actually, it might be, because we still don't know when the wedding is going to be. I know the wedding is going to be on Dynamite, but to my knowledge, we don't know when. I think we'll probably see a buildup, you know, where... Miro pretty much acts like he's the best, and maybe Kip kind of puts him in, puts him in his place, and then Miro's like, bro, I'm like four times bigger than you. Don't do that to me. And then at the wedding, he turns on him. But I can't wait to see that, because I think once that happens, Miro's career is just going to go to the moon. But, fingers crossed. We move on. Big news. Holy crap. Lance Archer came into contact with somebody who has COVID-19, and pretty much cannot compete against Mox for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Very, very disappointed. I'm flabbergasted. I wish that it wouldn't have happened, but you have to play it safe, especially in today's settings, especially in the world of professional wrestling. It is a contact-based form of entertainment, and kudos to AEW for not allowing Lance Archer to do what he was scheduled to do. It sucks but it was the best decision that they could have done. Uh, the whole program is pretty much scrapped, which kind of sucks. There was supposed to be a six-man tag. That scrapped. Very unfortunate, but you got to keep rolling with the punches. They decided to roll with the punches by inserting Kingston into a match with Moxley for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And in my opinion, that's a solid move. It makes sense. For the past couple of weeks, Eddie Kingston has been coming down to the ring and saying, hey, I did not get eliminated from the Casino Royale. Read the rules. Then he'd wink at the camera, and we'd all be like, oh, Eddie, you freaking, you fool, you, you jokester. But now, it's the real deal. Because of this situation with Lance Archer, Eddie Kingston's, you know, sayings for the past couple of weeks now hold value. Now they have a foundation to stand on. And what happens? He comes down to the ring, and he cuts an insane promo about being in the business for 18 years, about John Moxley going to the world of sports entertainment, and he stayed with the Wolves. It was incredible. Eddie Kingston is like one of those people who just, they pick up a microphone, and it just instantaneously turns into gold. It's so good. He came out swinging with that promo, and it got me so hyped for his match with Moxley because... It was later on in the night, and we're going to talk about it here in a little while. But right now, we're going to talk about another solid performance from Hangman Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page had a solo match with Evil Uno from the Dark Order, and once again, it was great. Page is just at the top of his game right now. He's been at the top of his game 
ever since he showed his face in AEW, in my opinion. But now that he's back in singles competition, he looks so good. And to be quite honest, his match with Evil Uno was fantastic. Uno can freaking go, man. I don't care what anybody says. He's so underrated. He's so good in the ring. His in-ring psychology is incredible. They put on a hell of a match. I really liked it. And once again, we had Kenny Omega on commentary. But this time, Kenny was being a little bit more on the nicer side of things. However, there was a couple of moments where he was being, how do you say, passive-aggressive. There was a couple of instances where Evil Uno almost got the three count, and Kenny was just like, oh, did, he, did Evil Uno just get him? Did he just get, oh, he didn't? Oh, okay. Okay, well, I thought it was great. It's, it's pretty much the seeds being planted for Kenny being excited about Kenny's, about Adam's losings. <laughs> I said that so fucked up. Oh, my gosh. Essentially, what's happening is Kenny is on commentary watching his former friend and tag team partner, like, just waiting for him to lose. I think that's what's going on. And it's all building up to uh, Hangman Adam Page versus Kenny Omega. The plot thickens. It's going to continue to thicken until it's solid, and then we'll just have to wait. But um, I don't know, man. Fantasy booking real quick. Hangman Adam Page, Seth Rollins. Bro, I would kill to see that match. I was watching Page's match with Evil Uno, and I was just like flabbergasted at how similar he is to Seth Rollins' in-ring style. And then it hit me. I was like, man, I want to live in a world where I can see that. Seth Rollins versus Hangman Adam Page in like a 30-minute Iron Man match or something. I don't know. It would just be absolutely stupendous. But I digress from my fantasy booking, and we move on to a little backstage segment. Pardon me. Matt Jackson being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. And, you know, in the beginning, Jackson's being a little, like, he's irritated. But, you know, it's it's Tony Schiavone. They're friends. He's not going to kick him in the face like he's been kicking people. And then Tony just keeps asking these, like, I guess to Matt, unnecessary questions. And <laughs> Matt, asks, Matt asks Tony if he has his phone on him. Tony says, yeah, pulls it out of his pocket. And Matt Jackson just bashes it against the wall and breaks it. Thought it was great. It was small. It was kind of whimsical. But I loved it. I personally can't wait to see, like, how far the asshole side of the Young Bucks goes. Like, are we going to see them go full, arrogant, like, son-of-a-bitch heels? Or is it always going to be this, like, whimsical, they-don't-really-say-much attitude-esque vibe? I don't really know, but I'm excited for it. Uh, we move on to Orange Cassidy versus Brody Lee for the TNT title. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere to me, because I don't remember it being, like, pushed or anything like that. I don't know why it happened, but I was excited for it because I love Brody Lee. I'm a pretty big fan of Orange Cassidy, and the match was really awesome, to be completely honest. It was actually really good storytelling. We had Brody Lee pretty much dominating for a majority of the match. You know, the Dark Order on the outside of the ring getting involved in some way or form, and then Orange Cassidy with the big build-up and come back towards the end just to sadly fail, and, you know, Brody Lee retains. What makes me upset about this is 
does this put a damper in Orange Cassidy's buildup? You know, because Orange Cassidy just came off the biggest win in his career over Chris Jericho. And yeah, it was in a ridiculous match, a Mimosa Mayhem match. But did did he really need to face Brody Lee for the TNT title this early? Because now he's got a loss. You know, and it even said when he was coming down to the ring on a five-match winning streak. That's big, you know, because TNT, TNT, AEW really pushes this whole wins and losses thing. They pay attention to it very, very heavily, which is great. But, like, Orange Cassidy's on the rise. He hasn't lost in five matches, but now he has. I kind of disagree with it. You know, here's, here's the reason that, for me, it doesn't make sense. So, after the match is over, the lights go out, and some shit pops up on the Titantron, and then it's just crazy, ominous noises, and then through some smoke and a whole fuck ton of pyro, Cody Rhodes is back. It's been five weeks. Cody Rhodes is already back. His hair isn't blonde anymore. It's now dyed black. He's like the negative version of himself. It's wild. He comes down to the ring, and he whoops ass. He beats everybody's ass, and now we're right back in the middle of Brody and Cody going at it for the TNT title. The reason that makes me mad is because if this was the plan all along, if Cody was going to make his return after this Brody Lee match against somebody, why have it be Orange Cassidy? Why not have it be someone that's not as special as Orange Cassidy is right now at this very moment? I don't know. But the buildup between him and Brody Lee begins. Uh, we're going to get Brody versus Cody 2 at some point. And I got to tell you guys, the promo that Brody Lee delivered after Cody's comeback was unbelievable. It was insane. It was intense. It was angry. He looked scary. He said some downright dastardly things about Cody and Brandy. It was it was insane. It was such a good promo. Kind of like made me realize how fantastic Brody is. And I don't know. I'm excited for him versus Cody. But at the same time, it's like we can tell like what's going to happen. Like Cody is probably going to win it. And, you know, be claimed as the first two-time TNT champion. And, I don't know. That doesn't really... For some reason, it doesn't sit well with me. And I love Cody. I think Cody's great. But I've really been enjoying Brody's run as TNT champion. But, I digress. And we move on to a tag team match. It was Diamante and Ivelisse versus Thunder Rosa and Sheeta. It was a solid match. It was okay. It really wasn't anything grand. But what it did do was further, pardon me, that's so gross, and I apologize. Hopefully you didn't hear it. Regardless, we move on. This match really didn't do anything but further the feud between Thunder Rosa and Sheeta, uh, which is going to happen. We're going to get their second match at some point, and I think when it happens, Thunder Rosa is going to win because Sheeta won the first time, and I think uh, I think it would do... I think it would do great things for Thunder Rosa, AEW, the NWA, and the AEW Women's Championship if Thunder Rosa won it. I just think it would be fantastic. Um, and I, I personally believe that their second match will outdo the first one. The first match, crazy good. But the second match is probably going to be absolutely bananas. And once again, before I move on, 
Thunder Rosa on my television every Wednesday night. Please and thank you. Keep it up. It's been fantastic. Yes, we move on. Now, Jericho and MJF have been doing this thing for the past couple of weeks where they've been talking to one another, and it's just been magic. They had a little segment here on this episode of Dynamite where they pretty much called each other out for calling each other losers last week, and they pretty much denied it and said that they were talking about other people and then went their separate ways. And what this did for me was create the scenario in my head where for some reason I would really like to see MJF and Jericho as a tag team. I think it would be pure, absolute magic. But I would only want to see it if they turned into a tag team and then it bled into a falling out that ended in a match. Almost like what happened with Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens the last time Jericho was in the WWE. I would like to see that, but with MJF. I think it would be absolutely phenomenal. Something really small, I just wanted to say. Uh, we move on to the last match of the night. The big main event. John Moxley defending his AEW World Heavyweight Championship against Eddie Kingston, the man who did not lose in the Casino Battle Royale. Now, this match was insane, guys. It was crazy good. Oh, my gosh, the energy was through the roof. There was one moment where they were just chopping the shit out of each other, and it was so, like, you could feel it through the television. It was so intense. It was so real. Kingston, in my opinion, has really found his home in AEW. I miss NWA Power every single Tuesday. But I am so glad that Eddie Kingston not only found his way to AEW, but I'm also glad that he's actually getting screen time and time to cut promos and matches. If this match with Moxley didn't raise Kingston's stock like 80%, then I don't know what will. It was an incredible showing. It was emotional and I'm just super happy for Eddie Kingston. And I know that there was probably some crazy like backstage mutual respect between the two of them. Just ridiculous match. Solid way to end the show. There was a post-match beatdown, essentially. After Eddie loses, John Moxley retains. There was a big, you know, brawl, like there always is. Kingston's goons came down to the ring, started whooping up on people. Will Hobbs came down to the ring, delivered quite possibly... The nastiest, most catastrophic spine buster I've ever seen, like Arn Anderson. Just hang it up. Will Hobbs' spine buster is bananas, but it wasn't enough. Essentially, Eddie Kingston and his goons stand tall at the end of the show. Great heel way for the show to go off the air. Just another solid episode of AEW Dynamite. Um, on the beard scale, this is going to get a super dyed black beard that used to be blonde. You know what I'm saying? Now, of course, with the end of our Dynamite discussion, we bleed directly into the September 25th edition of SmackDown Live, the official go-home episode of WWE programming heading into Clash of Champions. Now, this episode started off a little great and then kind of drooped in the middle and then got wild and crazy at the end. We're going to talk about it. The show opens up with Corey Graves pretty much orchestrating an interview, I guess you could call it, uh, in the ring with AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, and Jeff Hardy. Now, personally, this is the match that I am excited the most for at Clash of Champions. I'm going to talk about that here in a little while, but this whole debacle 
between the three of them, in my opinion, has been absolutely brilliant. You have Sami Zayn, who thinks he never lost the title. You have AJ, who feels that he was cheated out of it. And then you have Jeff, who feels that he won it fair and square. It's a great story. Now, this is three top-tier legends, in my opinion, about to steal the show at Clash of Champions. It's phenomenal. I literally cannot wait for this triple threat ladder match. They take the two intercontinental titles and they ascend them above the ring as they will hang there over the weekend until Sunday night when one of them retrieves them. And as Sami Zayn is getting out of the ring, he cheap shots AJ and Jeff throws a ladder into him. Adam Pierce comes out and, inform, and informs him, hey, guess what? There's a match about to happen, and now it's a triple threat match. It's not just you versus Jeff. It's a triple threat match between the three of you, and it starts right now. And a part of me was like, oh, this is lit. But there was also a part of me that was like, why? Why ruin the spectacle that we're going to get on Sunday? Why? Like, That's one thing that bothers me. I did not want to see this match until Sunday when ladders were involved, and it was for the Intercontinental title. And now we're seeing it on just a normal episode of SmackDown on a Friday evening. It's aggravating. It takes all the magic from Clash of Champions. Was it a solid match? Of course it was. It's AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and Sami Zayn. Like, there's no reason it's not going to be a good match. Um, Sami Zayn gets the dirty win. That makes me nervous. There's a, and, like, here's the thing. Predictability is what we don't want from our programming. Because, like, if we wanted to know the answers, we would just do some heavy research on the internet, and we would figure out who's going to win. I like being surprised. So, Sammy getting the win in this triple threat match, although it was dirty, makes me think that Sammy's not going to get the win on Sunday. AJ Styles climbing the ladder after the match is over and taking the titles down to boast makes me think that AJ's not going to get the win. So now, I'm just like set on the idea that Jeff Hardy's going to win. And I don't like feeling that way heading into a pay-per-view. I'm not sure. We'll just have to see how it goes. But I kind of wish that the whole match that happened on this episode of SmackDown just would not have happened at all. But I digress, and we move into a small little backstage segment between Otis, Tucker, and Miz and Morrison where... They're furthering the whole Otis being sued thing. Uh, Morrison's on Instagram Live, apparently. Which, by the way, when he said that, I got on my phone, and I don't think he was on Instagram Live, unless I was just being stupid. So, I, Morrison's a liar, <laughs> in my opinion. But Miz was just, you know, being Miz and getting in Otis's face and talking all this smack, and he brought up Mandy, and Otis was all mad. And it was, I don't know, it was just a thing. Personally, I hope Otis just decimates Miz and Morrison just for the sake that they put him in this stupid-ass situation. <laughs> like, I'm already over it. I don't know why Miz and Morrison, like, everything they touch has to turn into, like, some comedy bit. I don't get it. Um, and like I said last week, if this ends with Otis losing his money in the bank contract, I'm going to be absolutely upset. In my opinion, Otis should be competing in matches, looking like a beast, building up his stock, you know, doing his charismatic, funny thing from time to time to make the people laugh, and then out of nowhere, he's going to cash in on somebody. Even if he loses, just let him have the briefcase and let him cash in. Just a feel-good moment. I don't know, but we move on. 
Bailey cuts a promo at the top of the ramp against Nikki Cross, her opponent at Clash of Champions for her title. And I don't know, man. Bailey's not really doing much for me with these promos because I thought that I, I thought that she totally would. I thought that once this finally happened between her and Sasha, that Bailey would re- really like blow me away with how she feels about Sasha and these important promos in her career and like she's not really doing it and I'm not sorry about it like I don't know it's just if I've learned anything from this whole debacle it's that Sasha Banks is it's so weird because they're like you know the two bears that come together and form a panda like that's what they are because Sasha is phenomenal at talking but like I think she honestly kind of lacks in the ring I think she's a little botchy but then you have Bailey who's not so good with a microphone, but in my opinion, very clean and very solid in the ring. I don't know. Now I'm starting to, like, doubt myself for wanting this fallout to happen. But we'll just have to see where it goes. Oh, my gosh. If I say that one more time, guys, just stop listening to the podcast. Just turn it off and tell all your friends <laughs> that it, it might as well just be called the, the This Is Where It's Going to Go show. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, we move on to... Shinsuke Nakamura versus Grand Metalik in a one-on-one match with all the homies outside the ring watching. It was a pretty it was a pretty quick little match, but it was pretty action-packed. It was actually pretty solid. Um once again, why have this match on an episode of SmackDown when in 2 days we're literally going to see them duke it out at a pay-per-view event? I do not understand it. I don't get it at all. Just have some backstage shenanigans or you know, just a tussle in the ring, maybe a contract signing, for the love of God. But, like, stop giving us things before you give us things. I don't know. This is the part of the show where it droops, in my opinion. You'll know, for me, when the show picks back up. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was really weird, because for me, it's like it's ruining the momentum of Clash of Champions. And Shin getting such a dominant, I'll say, win, either means that Lucha House Party is going to somehow get the win at Clash of Champions, or they're just going to get squashed. Like, this is why you don't do things like this two days before a pay-per-view event. Like, just, oh, it's so aggravating. So aggravating that I'm going to move on before I rant about it. Uh, Baron Corbin, King Corbin, I am so sorry, (laughs) versus Matt Riddle in a one-on-one match. Uh, Holy cow. It was a damn good match. It was very, very good. I kind of forget sometimes how fantastic Corbin is in the ring. Um, And how it's been like so long since he's made the move from NXT. And like matches like last night really informed me as to how great he, he is. He was so good in NXT. When he came up, he was still good. I think the problem with Corbin this whole time has really just been, like, misguided booking. Like, he could be at the top of the food chain if they just risked it for the biscuit. You know what I'm saying? But him and Matt Riddle worked magic in the ring. It was a pretty solid match. King Corbin gets the win. It's a clean victory, so we're not going to hear the end of it for a long time. And in my opinion, it was a little weird seeing Matt Riddle lose. You know, because when he first came out and was announced as someone being on SmackDown from NXT. Uh, He was hot, dude. He was fire, and he was just riding the rocket to the moon. So it was really kind of weird to see him get a a loss, especially over someone like Corbin. 
Um, but I don't, I don't know what makes him look worse. I don't know if it's this random loss that I believe he could bounce back from or if it's that super weird bro segment from last week that should never, ever happen again. Bro, let's move on. Now, this is where the show picks back up. This is where, in my opinion, SmackDown goes from, you know, like the past couple of weeks, a mediocre program at best, to holy crap, this was like the segment of the week. And that was Alexa Bliss. Now, Alexa Bliss comes down to the ring. She's got a match with Lacey Evans. She's acting all normal. She's acting fine. Everything is peachy. It's great. It was actually very nice to see Alexa Bliss get in the ring again in a one-on-one match with somebody because I had forgotten how fantastic Alexa Bliss is in the ring. She is so good at what she does. And what I really liked about this match was the story that it furthered. Because at first I was like, why are, we, why are we having this? This better lead to something crazy, you know? Well, in the middle of her match with Lacey, Bray Wyatt's laugh comes over the speakers. And it kind of like throws her for a loop, and she looks around, and then it goes to commercial break. And when it comes back from commercial break, she's just getting her ass handed to her. And she looked so dazed. It was like she was in a foggy room, like looking for a doorknob, you know? She was just so out of it. There was one point where she did get the upper hand on Lacey, but she kind of like shook her head back and forth and like like she was shaking something off and then Lacey ended up getting the upper hand. And then out of nowhere the lights turn red and you hear the red shriek. That's what I've been calling it. It's the the thing that happens when the fiend appears. It's that same high-pitched shriek over and over again and the red lights are beaming down, and Alexa's just looking around, and then the lights go back to normal, and it's almost as if Alexa has been hit with like a defibrillator or something. I don't know, but she snaps. She goes off. She gets super aggressive and just beats the shit out of Lacey Evans. Just like wraps her hair in the ropes and pummels her around and stands on her back and like bashes her face into the canvas. The referee's like, holy crap, ring the bell. Alexa's gone off the deep end, disqualification, Lacey wins, doesn't stop Alexa, she drags Lacey Evans outside the ring, hits her with a super aggressive sister Abigail, and then goes and stands in the middle of the ring and just looks at the hard camera like super intense, angry, and like smirky, and then you hear the fiend go, let me in, and his face pops up everywhere, and she's just standing there like basking in the glory. And I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. This is wild. I really hope that something happens at Clash of Champions involving this. I'm not going to bank on it, but this was like grade A television. And shouts out to Alexa Bliss's like acting skills. Holy crap, she's absolutely killing this whole fiend thing. And then, this was the most interesting part to me. And this is going to bleed into another discussion. This will bleed into the final discussion for SmackDown and also something else that I want to talk about. But Alexa Bliss gets out of the ring, and she's walking up the on-ramp, and Roman Reigns' music hits, you know, because he's about to come out there and finish out the show. Well, Alexa Bliss sees Roman Reigns and just kind of stares at him as she walks by, and then she gets behind him, out of view. Roman Reigns stops at the top of the ramp to do his, you know, he's the champion, so he's going to taunt, and he holds up his Universal Championship, and 
Paul Heyman is standing to his left just looking at him. But standing behind Paul Heyman is Alexa Bliss, and she is just staring a god-awful hole through Roman Reigns, almost as if she, like, knows something. And that, to me, was like the icing on the cake, the very delicious cake for this whole Alexa Bliss being possessed by the fiend situation that's been going on because we haven't seen an episode of Firefly Funhouse since Bray Wyatt unveiled Wobbly Walrus and he was talking to Vince and Bray was all like, oh no, and then it went off the air. We also haven't seen Bray or the fiend in quite some time. Well, it's actually just been a few weeks, but it feels like forever. (laughs) And then this stuff is happening with Alexa and she just... I don't know. It's almost like The Fiend is like living through Alexa. It's crazy. But for me, it was like really big foreshadowing because we need not forget Roman Reigns did not pin The Fiend to take the Universal Championship. He pinned Braun. And I talked about it on Instagram a little while ago. This is not like, how do I word this? I'm not trying to be biased, but I am when it comes to Bray Wyatt. Ever since the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania 35, in my opinion, Bray Wyatt has been the most interesting thing in the WWE. Even when they were overbooking him and jumping the shark and making huge catastrophic mistakes with him, it was still the most talked about thing in the world of professional wrestling, as a, as it comes to WWE. But, like, it's just, it's been nothing but gold. Everything that he has touched has become fantastic. And I am living for this out-of-nowhere Alexa Bliss gimmick. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, there's a weird, like, thing in my brain that keeps popping up. <laughs> and it's, so, and we're going to, I think I'm going to end up doing an entire episode on Bray Wyatt and just his his beginnings and his ups and his downs and all that. But the small thing that we need to notice right now is the fact that... Technical difficulties. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to edit that out because it was wild. I pace back and forth like I'm on a cell phone (laughs) when I'm doing this podcast and my foot kicked the mic cable. I apologize, but this is what you do uh, when you're a pacer. Anyways, back to what I was saying. We need to notice that when Bray Wyatt is Firefly Funhouse Bray, his hair is pulled back into a bun. A bun? A bun. We also need to notice that when Alexa Bliss is normal and unaware of what's going on with what happens when the fiend is mentioned or some shit like that, that her hair is pulled back into space buns. Because last night what we saw was clean-cut Alexa And then the change happened, and she looked absolutely crazy. The look was great, too. Her hair was all over the place. There was a couple of dreadlocks hanging down. It was fan-fucking-tastic. But, like, it's the small things like that that really make me happy. Just, like, little things that I notice like that. But I'm telling you, someday, I'm going to do an entire episode of Babble Mania dedicated to Bray Wyatt. If you haven't picked up on it yet, he's my favorite thing in WWE. He's been my favorite thing in the WWE since, like, 2014. So, it's just, it's been great seeing his whole story play out the way it has been. But I digress because I could literally talk about it all day. Incredible segment, sick segment. We move on to Roman Reigns. 
pretty much ending out the show against his cousin Jey Uso, um, basically in a in a discussion. Earlier in the night, Jey Uso came out and pretty much wanted to talk to Roman, and Roman didn't show up. And in the middle of that, there was this like video package about the bloodline. Uh, Rikishi was in there, Roman's dad. It was pretty much them talking about Roman and Jay as chi- as children. And, man, it was just... It got me really, really pumped up. And it made it really, really personal. And that's what I like about this situation right now. Like, not only am I getting a new, refreshing Roman Reigns that I can actually be interested in and not despise, but I'm also seeing Jay Uso in a title run for a major WWE title and... I'm seeing like personal video packages that make him, that almost make you like feel bad that they're duking it out. It was just absolutely brilliant because you know early on in the night we get the video package. Jay wants to talk. Uh, it, it's like he's showing like true emotions in the middle of the ring, but Roman's just kind of existing as champion. It's just honestly brilliant. And now we're at the end of the night. Roman Reigns comes down to the ring, and essentially invites Jay to come out and and says some really harsh words to him. You know, he, he pretty much tells him that, like, he's not going to get the job done. I'm going to be the one who provides for our family. You can't do anything. It's It, it was rough, you know. Like, it was it, it cut deep, and he gets out of the ring without even giving Jay a chance to talk. And then Jay just snaps, and in my opinion, this is where Jay Uso cuts the promo of his career. And he says... You know, everybody looks at you and they're like, oh, there's Roman Reigns, there's the champ, there's the big dog. Do you know what they say when they see me? Which one are you? And, like, that was so insane to me. And Roman was just like, he he never looked at Jay. He kept his back to him the entire time. And when Jay was saying those things, Roman just looked a little, he looked a little distraught, you know? And then he finishes walking towards the back. And then Jay, you know, walks towards the back, and he's, like, throwing his hands up, and he's like, hope y'all are ready for Sunday, and out of nowhere, Roman just comes and just hits him with a big old Superman punch and takes him out, and I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that there was going to be some type of physical assault from Roman to Jay before we head into Clash of Champions. I honestly thought it was going to be a little bit more brutal. I thought we were just going to see him beat the shit out of Jay. That's probably going to happen at COC, but this was just a clean, simple, Superman punch that laid him out. But then Roman did something that I've never seen him do before. And this was the first time I've ever seen Roman do this. Roman, like, grabbed Jay and was screaming at his, we'll say, lifeless body as he laid there. Just about how he's not going to take the title from him. Like, Roman Reigns is coveting this championship like a stingy king covets his gold. And for me, it's absolutely phenomenal. Like, I've never seen Roman act this way and say the things that he was saying. And I've never even heard Roman, like, when Roman was shouting at Jay, it was a, a, it was a, it was a pitch in his voice that I had never heard before. He was so aggressive. It was so mean. It was so painful to hear him say those things. He was telling Jay, you're not going to take it from me. I'm the one who's going to provide for my family, for my kids, for my wife. It was insane. It was a very, very wild way to end the episode. And it just got me really, really pumped. This whole week in WWE, Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, 
got me super duper excited for Clash of Champions. You know, and it's it's weird because usually Clash of Champions is one of those events that like I'm not too thrilled about, but now I am because I'm hoping that some crazy things happen. But really good episode of SmackDown to kind of head into the big show on the beard scale. This is getting a magical beard. Like it's it's short but as you stare at it, it just gets better and better. Like it's starting to grow right in front of your eyes. And you're just like, whoa, this is actually pretty cool. This is actually pretty good. But the show's not over yet. We move on to Babelmania's Clash of Champions 2020 predictions. Now, I've technically already did this on my Instagram, at Babelmania, by the way, if you would like to follow me, please and thank you. But I did say in my post that I was going to be going into a little bit more detail on this installment of Babelmania. So, these are my WWE Clash of Champions 2K20 predictions. We're going to kick things off, and I'm going to do these in the same order that I did them on Instagram, by the way, because I have a great memory. <laughs> We're going to kick things off with the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. We have Shinsuke Nakamura and Antonio Cesaro. I know they don't call them that anymore, but I just did for craps and cackles. Defending against the Lucha House Party. Now, I'm not really that excited for this match, mainly because they gave us a little taste of it on SmackDown, but also because there really hasn't been that much of a build-up. Now, I was really, really hoping that we would see something catastrophic happen with the tag team titles at Clash of Champions. What I was wanting was Cesaro and Shinsuke, the SmackDown tag team champions, versus the Street Profits, the Raw tag team champions. And whoever won that bout would become the new WWE Tag Team Champions, and they would essentially float between both brands, almost like the women's Tag Team Champions do. Now, the reason I wanted this to happen was because the chemistry that was very noticeable between the Street Profits and Cesaro and Shinsuke. I really liked it. It was a banging-ass match when we got it, and then it was just thrown to the wolves, and we never heard of it again. Um... Lucha House Party hasn't really been built up. And it's that's not their fault. The Lucha House Party, they're great. Lince Dorado is awesome in the ring. Uh, Grand Metalik is awesome in the ring. Kalisto has always been great in the ring. Separately, they are three very good performers. However, as a whole, they haven't really been pushed. And really, the only thing that's been furthered during this, what, three-week-long debacle between the two teams has been the falling out of the Lucha House Party. Basically, there's a little bit of a grudge right now between Kalisto and Dorado, and that's probably going to lead to something, but it doesn't have anything to do with Shinsuke and Cesaro. So we head into Clash of Champions with Lucha House Party looking a little broken, and Shinsuke and Cesaro looking strong. Although, Shinsuke and Cesaro haven't really had anything absolutely incredible happen for them as a tag team since they've been the champions. And, like I've said previously, they beat the New Day in a tables match to win those tag team championships. Why haven't they been perceived in a more positive light? The Street Profits have been great since they won the titles. I'll talk about them here in a little while, but Cesaro and Shinsuke haven't really done anything. So, because of the lack of threat that Lucha House Party holds, this match is obviously going to go to Cesaro and Shinsuke, in my opinion. I would be very surprised if Lucha House Party won. What I am not going to be surprised about 
hopefully, is that this match is going to slap. I think this is going to be a great match. I think it's going to be shorter, but I think it's going to be action-packed and filled with some great spots. I think it's going to be a banging of a match because all of these men can absolutely go in the ring. So, Shinsuke, Cesaro, they retain. Let's move on. Moving on to the next match, which is going to be... Oh my goodness, I forgot which one I did. I'm over here bragging about a great memory, and I can't, I can't even remember. Oh, I'm a fool. There we go. Bobby Lashley defending his United States Championship against Apollo Crews. Now, personally, I think that the build-up to this match has been a little wonky, a little cattywampus, a little weird, and I think they biffed it. In my opinion... Clash of Champions 2020 is where Apollo Crews should have lost his United States Championship. In my opinion, this is where Apollo Crews should be defending against a built-up Bobby Lashley, and Bobby Lashley takes it. However, things did not happen that way, and now we almost have a match that's kind of hard to care about, solely based on the fact that the Hurt Business has really been pushed the past couple of weeks as a threat to retribution. And yes, there's, you know, a little bit of history where Cedric Alexander has jumped ship and gone to the Hurt Business that's kind of tying this together, but I'm honestly a little over it. Like, this match, in my opinion, could have easily been replaced by a non-title match, which would have been weird because of Clash of Champions, but, you know, this match could have been replaced by Cedric versus Ricochet, and I would have liked that better. Um, Hurt Business has looked so good the past couple of weeks, and Apollo Crews hasn't really done anything to the point where it's, it's pretty obvious who's going to take this one. Bobby Lashley's going to retain, walk away with the United States Championship, and after that, uh, we're probably going to see Hurt Business continue to grow in some way or form, and we're going to see Apollo Crews, unfortunately, probably fall down on the card and kind of go back to being that floater superstar that jobs and wins from time to time. It's, it's upsetting because I had, I had really high hopes for Apollo Crews as United States champion, but that's what happens when you drop the ball. And, you know, these are all opinions. These are all the way that I look at it. It's not, I'm just some kid. I keep saying kid. I'm a grown man. I'm just some man who watches wrestling <laughs> all the time. And these are just the thoughts and the ideas that I have about it. Um, I'm no professional. I'm no writer. I don't work for a creative or anything like that. So it is kind of wrong for me to be like, that's what happens when you drop the ball. But, I mean, I'm just saying they drop the ball. Let's move on before I put my foot in my mouth some more. We move on to Asuka defending her Raw Women's Championship against Zelina Vega. Now, I'm really, really excited for this match. Um, personally, I'm excited to see a new refreshing face defend against Asuka for her title. Uh, Zelina Vega was great, uh, is great. I don't know why I'm saying was. Zelina Vega has been great since coming up to the main roster. She's done a very good job in her manager roles, but I think it's time that she finally branches out and gets into singles competition because right now we really, really need it. You know, we have Charlotte Flair pretty much like doing her thing in NXT and floating around, not doing anything involving Raw or SmackDown. Becky Lynch is out because she's, you know, about to be a mom. Bailey and Sasha just had their falling out, so they're going to be involved in a program. And 
there's really not been any strong singles female competitors that can step up to Asuka and try to take her title from her. So I like the fact that Zelina has been inserted into that picture. makes me very happy. Um, I actually think Zelina has big potential. Uh, do I think that this is her time? No, I don't. Asuka, in my opinion, is definitely going to win this match. But I think this is going to be one of those moments where Zelina really shows the world what she's capable of. And I think she's probably going to make a really big name for herself at Clash of Champions. At least, I hope she does. But Asuka is definitely going to take it. Uh, we move on to the Raw Tag Team Championships. The Street Profits defending against the surprising duo of Andrade and Angel Garza. Now, the reason I say surprising is because, and I touched on it earlier, I don't understand why they're playing with my emotions when it comes to Andrade and Garza. Because last week, they couldn't even compete as a tag team. Like, they got down to the ring, they got into an argument, Garza walked out, causing a big loss for them, okay? But then, they win a number one contenders match for the title. Now, it kind of makes sense because Zelina wasn't involved, meaning that maybe it was Zelina that was holding them back the entire time. But for me, the way that I viewed everything, in my opinion, it should have been Andrade and Garza splitting up, Zelina maybe choosing one of them and kind of like being a manager to them, but also being a solid singles competitor, and then the other person going off on their own. Um, it's just, it's not really clicking for me. Like, they don't really feel like a team anymore because they've, they've not been able to get along for so long. Uh, the Street Profits, on the other hand, are a very cohesive unit. They're basically brothers. They say it all the time. They're family to one another. And I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it until their reign is over. Since obtaining the Raw Tag Team Championships, the Street Profits have been nothing but 24 karat gold. They've been incredible. Because of that, because of all of this, I'm going for the Street Profits. I want to see how far and how big and how amazing that they can get. I want to see them flourish as champions. I do not want to see them lose these titles to a team that, in my eyes, hasn't been able to get along for months now and doesn't feel like a team anymore. In my opinion, what I want to see is I want to see the Street Profits win this match, and it's going to be a banger of a match. It's going to be a great match. All four of these men are fantastic in the ring. They both know how to wrestle greatly as their perspective uh, rolls, faces and heels. Everything's going to be peachy. What I want to see is I want to see the Street Profits win this match. And then after the match, I want to see Garza and Andrade get into an absolute slobber knocker of a fight in the ring. And one of them becomes a face, one of them becomes a heel, and we basically get a program between the two of them that leads to a banging-ass singles one-on-one -on -one match between the two of them. Because I think they would really, really tear the house down if they were given, like, 13 minutes to do whatever they want. But I'm pulling for the Street Profits. They retain, and they want the smoke. Let's move on. Women's Tag Team Championships. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending against the Riot Squad. Now, I'm super pumped to actually see the Riot Squad in the running for some titles. Liv Morgan has always been this wishy-washy superstar for me. Like, in NXT... She was fun, but I hated her character. I hated her gimmick. 
and then she came up to the main roster and just kind of flopped. But now she's got a great look. She's got a little bit more pizzazz, a little bit more charisma going for her, and she's gotten a lot better in the ring since her NXT days. Ruby Riot has always been good, in my opinion. They just don't give her the time to shine. I'm really excited that not only are they together once again as a tag team, but it's really nice to see them actually fighting for some championships. In my opinion, they both deserve it. However, it's Nia Jax and it's Shayna Baszler. They're going to get decimated, and I'm kind of bummed about it. <laughs> Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are going to walk away with the Women's Tag Team Championships, and sadly, I do believe that it might be a squash match. We might see a couple of moments where, like, there's some hope in the eyes of Liv and Ruby Riot, but, like, I'm just afraid that 95% of the match is going to be Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler just playing with them and absolutely decimating them. And I think that's going to do bad things for the Riot squad, but it is Riot and Liv Morgan that we're talking about. Apparently, Vince McMahon has really no hope for Liv Morgan, which I think is super disheartening and kind of sad. Um, I don't know how he feels about Ruby Riot, but I know they make a great tag team. They got the look, they got the music, they got the theme. Hopefully this doesn't just completely eradicate them, um, but I do think that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are just going to absolutely go to town on them in this match and walk away still the women's tag team champions. The bar 2.0, in my opinion to be completely honest. They've done nothing but impress me since winning those belts, and I, I don't think they're going to stop anytime soon. All right, we move on to Bailey versus Nikki Cross. Bailey trying to keep her SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, Bailey goes into this event as a very, very, very bad woman who done some terrible, shitty things and deserves nothing, deserves nothing positive to happen. Nikki Cross goes into Clash of Champions as someone who's worried about her friend, but someone who still wants to fight for that belt and take it home. Now, Nikki Cross has been, like, she's had a very natural, very organic growth in the past couple of months um, heading into Clash of Champions. And she's become very likable and very charismatic. Um, I actually really enjoy watching Nikki Cross in the ring. You know, she's got those, like, certain moves and certain actions that she does really well that, like, make it her own. Uh, Bailey, on the other hand, is going into this like absolutely ruthless. Now, in my opinion, this is going to be the match where like things get turned on its head. I think that Nikki Cross is going to win this match. Okay? And what I think, and I have a couple of ideas floating through my head. In my opinion, one of two things is going to happen. On this side of the table, we have Nikki beating Bailey because Sasha interferes and causes a distraction of some sort that causes Bailey to lose the title. Because in my opinion, that will add so much depth and so much story to this feud between Sasha and Bailey, and it's just going to make the fire even hotter. Or, on the other side of the table, Alexa does something. So maybe it's something small, maybe it's something tiny, but it's noticeable. And that causes Nikki to get the win, which therefore means Bailey has lost her championship, which is just going to make her even more upset, which is going to make her want to attack 
Sasha even more, therefore making the program between the two of them even more heated. Either way, I see Nikki Cross leaving as SmackDown Women's Champion, and I see Bayley being very, very upset about it, regardless of what happens. But I think this is going to be like the shocking title exchange of the night, in my personal opinion. We move on to the match that I am excited the most for, and that is the triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, two belts hanging above the ring, ladders everywhere. It's going to be incredible. There's not a doubt in my mind that this match isn't going to smack. I think that this is going to be the match of the night. I think we're going to see some crazy spots. At least I hope so. I hope we do. But these are three like at the top of their game superstars that deserve to have a match of the night. Jeff Hardy has been over almost his entire career in professional wrestling. It is crazy to think how beloved he is in the world of professional wrestling, and he's like the king of ladders. Like, this might as well be his match. And then we have AJ Styles, who has done nothing but run it since he's come to the WWE. I mean, since he debuted at the Royal Rumble a few years ago, he's literally been in, like, top ten scenarios in the world of professional wrestling, involved with, with WWE. And then you have Sammy, who's kind of like, you know, he hasn't really tasted the limelight yet. He hasn't really had that big special moment, even though he deserves it. I mean, let's be honest, to this day, quite possibly the best NXT match I've ever seen was Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. It was phenomenal. We all know Sammy can go. He comes up to the main roster, he does some good, he does some bad, but like for the past couple of years, he's kind of been treated like dog shit in the company. And, you know, we all know how that goes. We pay attention to the internet and shit like that. For me, I think it would do great things for Sammy's career, Sammy's character, and this story if Sammy won the match. You know, Jeff won the title fair and square. He can always win it back. AJ, like, how much can someone be at the top, you know? But Sammy, Sammy really needs this. And Sammy does have a good point. <laughs> he keeps talking about how the title was taken from him. It was. You know, yeah, he wasn't here to fight for it, but, you know, Roman Reigns wasn't there to fight for his championship. And the second he comes back, he guns for it. So why is it wrong for Sammy to do that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, Sammy's being an arrogant little prick about it, but that's what he does best. Personally, I think it would just be fantastic to see Sammy win. I really just want to see Sammy grab some belts and just hold them above his head and then pick up a microphone and just go straight into talking smack to everybody. Like, that's what I want. And that's why I want Sammy to win. Um, I think it's going to be a banger of a match. We're probably going to see Jeff Hardy jump off of something high and maybe even, like, like go too hard. Like, Jeff's probably going to take himself out of the match somehow. And then if Sammy does win, it'll be in some weaselly type of way. But I'm pulling for Sammy Zayn. Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Let's move on to the WWE Championship match. Drew McIntyre defending against Randy Orton in an ambulance match. Now, this is, this is a weird one for me because the way that they've been building Randy for the past couple of weeks has me feeling that maybe, just maybe, he's going to take this. It makes me nervous because I don't want that to happen. I don't want Randy, in my opinion, 
Randy Orton has solidified his career in the WWE. He did it years ago. In my opinion, he doesn't need to win any more championships. It's not going to do anything to his character. He's just one of those guys that people like, period. Drew, on the other hand, has really been like a champion of champions since taking that title from Brock at this year's past WrestleMania. Like, he has done nothing but grow and get better and better as each week has passed with that WWE championship. And I just think it would put a really big blemish on his run if he lost it to Randy Orton. And the reason I say that is because it's almost like a curse. Every time we get a new, refreshing champion that makes you go, ah, this is nice, Randy Orton steps in and just ruins it all. You know, a lot of people didn't like Jinder Mahal when he was champion. But because of Randy Orton, Jinder Mahal lost it. I thought it was great. I thought he looked like a champion. I thought he was a great heel champion. And it was like it was so new and exciting that it just felt good to talk about. Don't even get me started with Bray Wyatt. That terrible WrestleMania match that, in my opinion, Bray should have won but didn't for some reason. Long story short, I do not want to see Randy take this title from Drew McIntyre because I don't think it's going to... I don't think it's going to do anything for either of them. Like, whoop-de-doo, Randy wins, but, like, it's so damaging to Drew if he loses. The only positive outcome I can see from Randy winning this ambulance match is potentially having Drew win it back in a very short amount of time. And then he's a two-time WWE champion, which would feel really, really good. I still wonder about Keith if he's going to be involved in some way or form, but we'll just have to see how that plays out. Um, Because of my fears, I'm going to completely go with what I want (laughs) in this match, like a totally non-analytical standpoint. Um, Drew McIntyre, in my opinion, has to win this match, point blank, period, moving on to the main event. Well, it's probably going to be the main event. It's definitely going to be the main event. Wow. You ever just... You ever just drop everything all at once? Oh my goodness, what a train wreck this episode is. I apologize, but thank you for continuing to listen if you've made it this far. Oh my lanta. The main event, Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, Universal Championship, cousin versus cousin. It's all about the bloodline. This is, in my opinion, going to be like the shocking moment of the night. I think that this match is going to be Roman Reigns just beating the crap out of his own cousin and showing us not only how ruthless he is now, but how little everything else matters to him in comparison to the Universal Championship. And I think it's going to leave a lot of people uncomfortable. I think when Clash of Champions goes off the air, the entire internet's going to be talking about how much of an asshole Roman Reigns is. I just, I think that's the way it's going to go. Jay is going into this looking like an emotional, like, family member who legitimately gives a damn, and Roman is going in looking like he doesn't care about anything but the title. Um, Roman, obviously going to win. It's his first title defense since becoming the champion. It's Roman Reigns. There's no way he's going to lose, period. It's just, it's not going to happen. 
But I think the most important thing that we're going to take from this match, in my opinion, this match isn't even about the title. Like, it's a title match. Roman's going to take it, obviously. But I think that this match is more about us seeing Roman Reigns' new character furthered. And I think it's going to leave a lot of people like with their jaws dropped. I, I personally think that this match is going to end quickly. I think he's going to beat the shit out of Jay. He's going to spear him. He's going to pin him. One, two, three. And then he's not going to stop. I think he's going to like he's going to beat Jay up so bad that we're not going to see Jay on television for like a month or two. That's what I think is going to happen. And I think it's going to be dastardly. And I think it's going to get some bad looks. But I think it's going to further this new Roman Reigns character that I personally am super interested in. More interested than I've ever been. And with that being said, that's my predictions for WWE Clash of Champions 2K20. Um, don't forget the event. If you're listening to this as it happens, uh, as it happens, if you're listening to this upon release, Clash of Champions is tonight. Um, I'm thinking about making a Facebook page for Babblemania where I can stream live reactions to the pay-per-view events that I watch. Just an idea. If you listen to this podcast, uh, you know, message me on Instagram at Babblemania if you think that's a good idea. But regardless, that's all she wrote. Make sure you click the link below the podcast to check out all the other things that I do. Uh, make sure you're following the Babblemania Instagram. I just started it. I'm having a good time with it. But everything is getting like two or three likes, <laughs> so it feels a little pointless. But with all that being said, thank you so much for listening to me babble. I'll talk to you guys next time. And big smooches. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling.